Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 13 all the way to verse 16. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. And I want to just focus in on what does it mean to be the light, as God has called us, that we are like a city on a hill. So what does it mean to be the light, the light of Christ as we shine forth through our lives? Uh, How many of you believe this statement, that Hong Kong is the greatest city in the world? Okay, all the locals are like, woo! Some of you are like, my little town in this little nation of mine, that's the best city or town in the whole world, but I will say this, I can confidently say, at least for me, that Hong Kong, I believe Hong Kong is the best city in the whole wide world. Uh, I know that it doesn't seem like that right now, partly because of everything that's going on in the city with all the different protests, but I personally fell in love with Hong Kong uh, in the early 2000s, because what would happen is I would visit Hong Kong quite often, and that was my first trip, and then afterwards, subsequent years, I would at least come to Hong Kong uh, once a year, because many of my missions projects or different scouting trips that I've had uh, in the past, I would always make a stop in Hong Kong as a layover before I flew into other parts of this side of the world in Asia. And just first coming, I, I just remember the first time I just landed, I just saw everything, the the buildings, the sights, the people, uh, the sounds, everything around us, and the taste as we ate all this incredible food. Uh, I just remember just God used all that to just kind of put something in my heart uh, for the city and the people of Hong Kong. And then after many years of coming back uh, time and time again, uh, God started tugging in my heart for this important city on this side of the world. And one of the things that I was able to do, as many of you probably have taken these pictures, if you look at uh, this first picture here, as you can tell, it's from the peak. And I remember going to the peak every single time because people will take me there. Or when I come with other people, I want them to experience it as well so that I will take them to the peak and then we will just kind of just look at the whole city in this way. One of the things I love to do is whenever I visit a city to try to find the highest point And then pray over the city and pray that God will be the Lord over the city and God will raise up the church, the people of God to live out their purposes for that particular city. And so it's great because as soon as you take anyone there, it's almost like you hear this little gasp and just amazement and wonder at the beauty of this city. And a lot of times, as I mentioned, we, we pray over the city and just just finding great joy as I see people just looking out and praying together for the city. And I, I believe that Hong Kong has one of the best skylines. And as you know, there's a, another picture that is often uh, used and taken. Um, just looking at this whole city, it's easy to get so attracted by the lights and all the buildings and just all the concrete jungle we're, we're living in. But one of the things that we cannot forget is in these incredible cities all over the world, and especially in Hong Kong, there are people who live in these cities. And I share this because I think 
it's interesting that as we think about our city of Hong Kong, and I don't know how many of you have either grown up here all your life, or some of you, this is your first year in Hong Kong. Maybe some of us have been here for the last three to five years. But one of the things that we have to understand is that there are a lot of things about Hong Kong that you slowly start discovering more and more as you're in the city, as you're part of the community. Uh, one story some of you might have heard before, but every single time I came to Hong Kong, I would always stay around Central, Admiralty, Wan Chai, Causeway Bay. So in my mind, I'm like, this is Hong Kong. I'm like, everyone speaks English. You don't even have to use Cantonese or Mandarin. Everyone speaks English. And this is what I told my family. I told my wife and my kids. I go, yeah, it's great. It's so westernized. I mean, you can speak English. You guys will. And then we live all the way in the new territories. Then they go, Dad, you lied. You know, uh, <laughs> you got to speak a little bit of Cantonese or a little bit of Mandarin to get by. Uh, and, and so something that I'm discovering is that Hong Kong, there's more to just Central and Causeway Bay and some of the more popular spots. I'm realizing there are a lot of little neighborhoods that we are not necessarily familiar with because many of us don't have any business or just any means or any reason to go there. But the more I begin to start discovering some of these things, because sometimes I meet some of you for coffee or for lunch, or sometimes I have meetings with other pastors in different areas and different churches. I'm realizing that there is so much about Hong Kong I just did not know. And I still don't know. And I will continue to probably never know until I keep on exploring. So what I wanted to do is just to, beyond these pictures that we're so familiar with, I want to show you a quick video of different parts of Hong Kong where it depicts just people and the things that they do in their everyday life. And I pray that it will re start something in our hearts of why this is the greatest city in the world. Let's watch this together. I don't know what went through your mind. Some of you probably think, I hate those monkeys when I go hiking. I do not want to see them again. But as you can tell, uh, the thing that goes through my mind whenever I see these kind of things is not only just the beauty and the creation of, that God has made and also God has given the ability for man to create these buildings and these incredible structures. The thing that crosses my mind is how many of these people know who Jesus Christ is? How many of them have actually experienced the gospel? With 7.4 uh, 7 million people in this city, I'm wondering what goes through your mind as you think about Maybe on a daily basis or whenever you're, as often as you can, when you think about this great city of Hong Kong. Are you reminded of those who are lost? Are you reminded of the incredible needs that are all around us? Do you see what's going on on the streets and why people are doing what they're doing? Do you, do you feel the hopelessness and even the tension that's amongst the people. And as I think about this more and more, I'm realizing that as we start this two-part series called City on a Hill, I want to talk about the importance of cities in the context of Scripture. I also want to talk about what is our role as followers of Jesus Christ and what that means for us who live in the city. Because cities matter to God. 
and therefore it has to matter to us. According to the UN data, right now there are 55% of the world's population that live in the urban areas. That is, there are more people who are living in cities than in the rural areas of this world, 55%. It is estimated that by 2050, the, this por uh, portion will increase up to 68%. So that means 68% of the world's population will be living in urban, urban centers or in cities. Close to 90% of this increase will occur in Asia and Africa. So if you think about this for a moment, together we're talking about China, India, and Nigeria. Those three countries will account for 35% of the projected growth of the world's urban population between now or last year up to 2050. Those three countries. They're very important countries to the heart of God. By 2050, it is projected that India will have added 416 million urban dwellers. China will have 255 million people who will live in the cities. And then in Nigeria, 189 million. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I hear these figures of millions and hundreds of millions, it's so difficult for me to wrap my mind around that, that how many people will constitute 189 million, 255 million, and even 416 million people. By 2030, the world is projected to have 43 megacities with more than 10 million people in these urban centers. We're talking about these are huge cities. And with all these projections of growth in the cities, we realize that church has to be involved in reaching the city. In fact, as I have said many times, and we'll keep on saying this phrase over and over again, is that we have to be a church in the city that's for the city. God placed us here in one of the greatest cities in the world. And as a church in this city, the question is, what are we doing for the city? What is God calling us, not only individually as Christ followers, but collectively together as followers of Christ and built in this biblical community, in this local context that God has given to us, what is he calling HMCC of Hong Kong to do? What, would, what does it look like? What will it look like? How can the church be in the city and be also for the city? I think first we have to understand God's heart and passion for the city. It's interesting that the Bible is a story that starts in the garden and then it moves all the way out and goes out into the cities. And ultimately in Revelation chapter 21, you realize the story will end in the city, this new Jerusalem. The early church, when you look at scripture, grew by focusing on influential cities of that known world at that time and so that they could influence the world from those cities. If you just study the book of Acts, you'll notice that Paul would always go into these major cities 
preach the gospel and engage the culture, bring change. And from there, people were sent out from those cities to go to other cities to share the gospel message. But why the cities? I believe it's because cities are where the people are. It's about the people who need Jesus. I think, therefore, not only God's passion for the city, but you see God's purpose for the city as he desires to fulfill the Great Commission. And hopefully, my prayer in our generation. This is why we have to reach the city of Hong Kong. We want God's passion to be our passion. His heart for the city will become our heart for this city. And we want God's purposes to be lived out in us and through us. So let me just give us the one thing as we focus in on this passage in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. The one thing that I want you to remember is simply this, that our city can shine bright when we reflect God's light. That we will be able to shine so brightly in this city as we begin to reflect the light of Jesus Christ and the light of God. Let me go ahead and mention two things here that we have to keep in mind about how our city can really shine brightly when we reflect God's light. The first thing that I want us to remember is we have to remember our identity in the city. So you have to remember your identity in the city. Now, as we look at Matthew chapter 5, if we look at the earlier section in chapter 5, verse 1 through 12, we see that Jesus is talking and teaching about what it means to be blessed. He talks about all these traits of what it means to be blessed. As some of you know, it's called the Beatitudes. And the reason why he's teaching this is that anyone who will follow and be a part of the kingdom of God, you're going to be blessed if you understand some of these teachings and you live it out. Now, in verse 11 and 12, I want you to quickly look at that for a moment. We see this topic of persecution and this reminder that we are blessed when we go through persecution. Why? When you are being persecuted, whether it is at, at your workplace, whether at school, whether at home with your parents or even with your family member, your friends, what Jesus is reminding us is that when you go through persecution or people are against you, they're questioning you, then you are blessed because that shows that you are living according to kingdom value. Can I get a good amen to that? Let me just, now please, don't misunderstand me. If in this past year no one has questioned why you do what you do, and you just kind of fit into the crowd, then I want to challenge you to think that maybe you're not living with the kingdom values. When you spend so much of your time that could be spent in so many other things, but you spend it in investing in life group, investing in your own personal walk with God, maybe in the context of the church, people who don't know these kingdom values, they'll think you're crazy. When you decide to give up a summer, or give up some of your vacation time to go on a missions project. Some of your parents will not understand because they're not living according to the kingdom values. So if you haven't experienced any opposition or persecution in this past, let's just say six months. Then what I will have you pause here for a moment is 
ask yourself, am I living with kingdom values? Because you will be persecuted. When your boss tells you to do something that goes against what the scripture teaches, and you stand firm, even willing to lose your job. It's a different way of thinking. It's a different way of living. When we live differently than the world, there will always be persecution. That's why in John chapter 15, verse 19, in the New Living Translation, this is Jesus speaking. He says, the world will love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to, become, to come out of the world so it hates you. The world's going to hate you when you try to live with kingdom values. So when we understand this, we will learn to value our calling to be different than the world. This is why knowing our identity and our distinctiveness in our call is so important to impact the world. So here's Jesus as he teaches the Beatitudes, and then in 11 and verse 12, he talks about persecution is going to come if you live according to these kingdom values. And then he shifts gears, and then in verse 13 for today, you will notice Jesus uses two metaphors to illustrate our identity and our calling as participants in the kingdom of God. So what I want you to first note here is that part of our identity in the city that we live in is that we are the salt of the earth. Let me go ahead and read verse 13. Listen to what it says in verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So we're talking about our identity, and he says, and he uses a metaphor, and the first one is, you are the salt of the earth. Now, you have to keep in mind that salt back in the biblical times were used as a preservative. As some of you know this, there was no refrigeration, so in order for food not to get spoiled or rotten, they'll put salt on it so that it could last a little bit longer. Also, as many people do even today, they put salt in their food to add flavor to what they're eating. And so with this in mind, Jesus uses this common material or a common thing that everyone understands. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. And when you think about the human heart and a lot of the problems that we see in the city, you will find that there's a lot of rebellion and corruption because the heart is wicked. Look, listen to what it says in Psalm chapter 14, verse 2 and 3. In the ESV, it says this. Read it with me in the yellow. It says this. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no who, the none who does good, not even one. This is the reality. And I know this is very offensive for some of you who think you're a really nice person. But the Bible is very clear that every single one of us, we are corrupt in our hearts. We are very self-centered. We are very rebellious. We do things for our own gain. 
That's why sometimes we are nice, because there's certain things that we can gain from it. Some of us who think that we're very altruistic and we do things out of the purity of our hearts, deep inside, sometimes you're more concerned about your reputation. You're more concerned about what other people think about you. So here's the scripture. The Bible tells us that every single one of us, we don't, who are those who seek God? No one, because we're all corrupt. Not even one person. And so it makes sense as he's thinking about this kingdom value that you're going to be living in this world. You're not of it, but you're in this world. He's thinking about all the corruption, all the rebellion, all the self-centeredness. And he says, those who will value the kingdom of God and live according to it, you are the salt of the earth. To describe our identity in the city as the salt of the earth, it shows that we are bringing not only God's flavors, but we're also preserving, bringing the good into the place that we're living right now. When was the last time when people saw how you lived, you exposed their own hearts? That's why a lot of times we judge people because we see somebody who is hurting and we minister to them and they get angry at you because why? They know deep in their hearts that's what they should be doing and exposes them that they're not really loving person. Or when you see somebody being very generous and blessing people, what it does is it exposes your self-centeredness and your selfishness. And that's why you begin to hate that person. Or you think they're showing off. Why? Because it highlights how different you are from that person. That's why this idea of salt is that things around in our world that are slowly uh, decaying. And here we are coming in and trying to live according to the kingdom values. And we're trying to preserve what's happening around us, bringing the common good. So people can see who God is. You're going to be persecuted. As I mentioned earlier, listen to this translation of that verse in the message translation. Read it in the yellow with me. It says this, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. When was the last time in your workplace or your neighborhoods People actually tasted the God's flavor of his love. The God flavor of his mercy or his grace. When was the last time in your schools, in your classrooms, in your dorm, people actually tasted the goodness of God because of the way you live your life? I'm wondering if some of us in this room, we have to think through this because then we're going to be useless. It says here, you, you might as well put it under someone's feet and be trampled upon because no one uses that. But salt, it's good when it's being used to preserve as well as to give God's flavors. So as we remember our identity in the city, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And here's the second thing that you will notice. He says, not only are the salt of the earth, but he says, you are the light of the world. Let's read verse 14 and 15. It says this. 
You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. As you know that this title of being the light of the world is what Jesus used to describe himself. In John chapter 8, verse 12, listen to what it says. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So a lot of us, when we read this, we're like, wait a minute. Jesus says he's the light of the world. Why are we now light of the world? What you have to understand is that as he is the true source of light that brings it into this world, he says now we're called to be the light of the world because we're able to reflect the true light. We are not the light. Can I get a good amen to that? We are not the light. So when Jesus says you are the light of the world, he's not saying that you are the light. He is the light. But we have the privilege to reflect this light to those people around us as we live according to the kingdom values. We have to keep in mind that we do not shine as the light, but rather just luminaries, if you will, or people who just shines forth whatever's coming through out of their lives. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 says this, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom... You shine as lights in the world. As we live our lives according to the kingdom values and as the Holy Spirit is in us, when we live, people will see this light that comes out of our lives, which is truly Jesus Christ. That's why in the NIV it says, in which you shine like stars in the universe. How many of you have ever been outside where it's completely dark and you see all the stars. Can I go ahead and just raise your hands? Okay, some of you have never been outside of the city and you cannot see stars in the city because there's so many other competing lights. One of the things I, I, I really enjoy is that sometimes when I'm back in the States, when I was driving or sometimes as I'm going from place to place, there are some places in the suburbs where you're away from the city from all the lights and it's completely dark, and all you have to do at night is look up, and you'll see all the stars lighting up. Now, if you go even further to other places around the world where there's no electricity, I'm telling you right now, you will see an incredible display, a light show that's created by God. I remember being in Kenya and seeing some, some of the most incredible creation of God. The stars were so bright. The moon was rising. I was, I was just almost like about to cry because I'm like, oh, the moon rises. The sun already set, and then the moon was rising. I'm like, there, there must be a God. And it literally lit up the sky that you could stick your thumb, and there is not a star that's further than the width of your thumb. That's how many stars there were. That's why even in the message translation of Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, people, Provide people with a glimpse of good living and the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, in the New Living Translation says this, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. That light comes from Him. So live as people of light. 
It's interesting that Jesus furthers the illustration by saying that if you are the light of the world, then you will be like a city on a hill. Now, as many of you know, you cannot hide a city when it's lit up. Those of you who might not know this, but one of the coolest things that the NASA, what they do, the space program, is that they actually take pictures uh, from space. Some of you might have seen this before. In fact, it's on my laptop. I'm always seeing this as soon as I open up my laptop. But let me show you the NASA's picture uh, of the world. It's not as clear as uh, you can see it, but uh, they just took different shots and they just kind of pasted it together. And this is what the world looks like at night at different times. And so you could just tell where all the money is going to electricity, uh, which continents and which cities. And something that I want you to understand is that a lot of places that are more developed, of course, they have more lights. And you could actually see the outline of different cities. I could even name some of the cities in the United States because these are some of the larger cities in the States. Even as you look at Asia, you can tell. Look at Hong Kong, so bright. because they have a light show every night, okay? It's, it's so bright. But some of you have seen this before, but I want to show you a picture of one section of the world. And as you know, this is Korea, the peninsula. If you look at South Korea, you realize where Seoul is, where it's completely bright. And then you look at North Korea, and you realize how dark it is. Now, why, why is this important? Because when a city is lit up, you cannot hide it, even from space. You see it. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. I mean, can you imagine? They didn't discover rockets at this time, but he's God, so he already knows. He's already been there, done that, and he's looking around. And he goes, you are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That when you see people who are living with kingdom values, they are like a city that's lit up. You can't hide it. And then he also uses this illustration of a lamp. That once you light the lamp, you don't hide it. But under a basket or whatever the, the case may be, but you put it on a stand so that it could give light to that room. And what he's trying to communicate is this, that it affects everybody. Just like salt affects things, light does the same. Now, while salt is more subtle and you can't see it, but you can taste it, the light is more visible and everyone is able to see it and they benefit from it. Why is this important for us? I'm wondering if some of the people will go into your workplaces, how bright your workplace will be. I'm not talking about these physical lights. Some of you are like, it's not that bright, but it's cold. <laughs> if I were to just stroll into some of your classrooms, I'll probably see a lot of people playing video games that haven't paid any attention. Like, I was just thinking about that. You actually are paying money to play video games. If you have that much money to waste, 
I know a good place to uh, give that money, especially if you guys miss class. I forgot what was the exact amount, but there's, you waste X amount of dollars every class that you miss. I'm just wondering, if we were to go to some of these places in your life on a daily basis, how bright it will be. How about us? I'm wondering, can people really see Jesus' light through us? Are we, are we living in such a way that we're giving visibility to the truth and the love of God? That's why part of our identity, before we even talk about the different needs in the city, we have to know who we are in Christ and people who belong to the kingdom of God. And our identity is that we are the salt and we are the light of the world. That we're supposed to bring forth God's flavors as well as to be able to bring light so people could benefit. Let me close with the second point. As we talk about how we want to light up our city with God's light. You have to remember not only your identity in the city, but we have to talk a little bit about our influence over the city. Listen to what Tim Keller said. He writes a lot on cities because he is a pastor in Manhattan in New York City, and he writes this. The church has to be everywhere there are people, but the people are moving into the city faster than the church. If you love what God loves, you will love the city. If you want to go where the people are going, you've got to go into the city. And our churches are not going, into the, going to the city nearly as fast as the people are. So just think about that for a moment. that people are moving into the cities faster than the churches are. On one hand, I could say that's why we need to see more churches being planted in many global cities around the world. Because more people are moving in there and many of them have never heard the gospel. Or many of them have never experienced biblical community where they can come to the realization that they need to live a life that's away from just a self-centered life but something that's greater than themselves. So what that means is there's a whole influx of people moving into the city and there are not enough churches to able to reach out to them. So the churches that are already in the city, no matter how much we try to try to reach out to everybody, we just can't. We need more churches. We need more people. This is the reason why we can be a church that just meets on Sundays or maybe life group on Tuesday or Wednesday and feel really good about ourselves, but people are not coming into the church. People are not coming into our life groups. They're at our workplaces. They're in our schools. They're in our dorm rooms. They're in our neighborhoods. They're in these huge 60,000 people apartment complexes. And this is the reason why Jesus Christ is so passionate when he talks about sending people out into the harvest field. If we're waiting for people to come into the church, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to be sadly mistaken. More people are flooding into the city and there aren't enough churches to be able to minister to all of them. So we have the privilege of being able to go to some of the places in the city and bring the light. Of Jesus Christ. 
I want to close with this verse 16. Listen to what it says. As we talk about remembering just our influence over the city. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We cannot forget the call that we have to influence the city by doing things for the common good. Now, when it says do good works, it's not so you can earn salvation. In fact, this is something that we're constantly trying to teach here. You don't do things to get something, but because you have already received something, which is salvation, the grace of God, that's why we do something. Can I get a good amen to that? That is the gospel paradigm. You don't do something to get something, but we have already received something from God, which is His grace, His mercy, His love. And because of that, now we do things in response to that. And so what he says is that those who are the light and the salt of this earth, what he's saying is this, now we do good works. We're reminded that as our light shines, what people will see is our good works. When people see us doing good, it's not because we're good. But we're praying that they will see the power and the grace that comes from God that allows us to do these things. It's not us. It's God in us. And that's what I'm praying for in our church. That every single time you're motivated to do good because you understand the gospel, you're thankful for what he has done in your life, that when you do these things, people will not be like, oh, you're such a nice person. We failed. Like, I pray that we will never receive credit for what we do. That seems so nice. Now, there's nothing wrong with receiving the compliment saying thank you because if you go, oh, no, 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 that's the Asian way, right? But no, 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 no. But that really means yes, 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 right? That is the Asian indirect prideful way. You're so good at piano. Oh, no, 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 no. But you won all these awards. You're so smart. You, you did so well. Let's go. Oh, no, 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 no. You ended up getting 4.3 above the scale that you could, you busted the scale. Oh, no, 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 no. Can I just say this? That's really pride. Whenever you see people saying that kind of stuff, I know it's Asian custom, Asian stuff, but that's really pride. Because humility is knowing yourself who you are in Christ, but you don't take the credit. So if someone says, wow, you're so good at that, I say, thank you. Don't go into the spiritual thing. Well, because the, the, the Lord Almighty <laughs> has anointed me. No, you could just say thank you. You know, I'm, I'm so glad that I was able to do this. or I'm so, I'm so blessed to be able to do this. I realized God gave me the strength. He gave me different experiences in my life. Like some of you make it so hard. Like when I have conversations with someone, Pastor, it's so hard to share the gospel. I'm like, are you serious? Like every, I could share it with strangers and it just, you got to be smooth. Everyone, turn to somebody and just say, be smooth. be smooth. You don't have to be religious. You just have to make Jesus real. Can I get a good amen to that? Like he's got to be real to you. Can you imagine if I'm trying to talk about my kids, I'm like, yeah, um, th there's, a, there's a creature that I have made with my wife that has certain kind of chromosomes and DNA. People are like, what the, well, you're, you're weird. 
See, that, that's the weird stuff. <laughs> like, you guys can laugh at that, but that's how it sounds like to people when you say, well, because God, he's just, um, praise the Lord. Praise, what, what, what does that mean? <laughs> like, if God is real to you, Jesus is real to you, then he should be part of your conversation. I know we talk about this a lot, but this is so important. It's important to me. It's important to our church. I believe it's important to the heart of God. A part of learning how to be a city on a hill, to be a church that really goes into the city to meet the needs. When they ask you, what did you do this weekend at work, right? They're asking you at work, here you are, you know, drinking water at the cooler. I don't know if you guys do that, but you're behind the cubicle or you go out the line. What did you do this weekend? What a great opportunity. I went to this talk, um, and it, it was a lot of good, like, self-help stuff. Oh, you're part of one of those, like, no, no, no. Uh, it's, 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 it's a church. <coughs> <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> People are going to be like, what's wrong with you? No wonder some of your bosses don't know that you're a Christian. No wonder some of your colleagues don't even know you're a Christian. Until finally you realize they're a Christian and you're a Christian. You're like, oh my God, I never knew. It's been five years. Oh my God, I never knew. Because <laughs> not only them, but also you. You just never made a part of Jesus real as a part of your life. I always tell people it will be very disconcerting if... No one knew that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Like I said, just got to be smooth. Don't be weird about it, DNA, chromosome. Don't do that kind of stuff. Just be normal about it and just say, yeah. Man, I had a great weekend. There's this thing in our church called Harvest Games. It, it is wild, man. It, it's like literally like Olympics, but with all these groups who are competing against each other. They're like, yeah, yeah, what happened? Yeah, tell me more. Tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. And then you just start talking. Yeah, just in our church, we have these things called small group, and, or we're, we're small group, but it's called life group, and we just gather together once a week, and we build community. We get to know people. Oh. And, and, then, and then he's thinking, I have no friends. I don't do anything in the week. All I do is watch Netflix. And then you could just tell from their face that they're kind of like drooling for community <laughs> and all you have to say is would you be interested in coming out man this coming week we're going to be doing this yeah sometimes people don't come because they've never been invited because we make it so awkward make Jesus real as part of your life and everything that you do and I'm telling you right now you'll see a difference I understand. I know some of the objections. Oh, my God, if I tell them I'm a Christian, they're going to look at me a certain way. They're going to expect certain things. I always tell people that's, that's, that's even better because then you could really share the gospel because then you can say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not the best worker. Oh, uh -huh. 
I know I'm not the best judge. Oh, everyone knows that already. <laughs> you know, <laughs> welcome to the party. Everyone knows. But as you share about who Jesus is and why, even though you are weak, even though you're not as smart, even though you're not as competent in doing all this stuff, it is the grace of God. And when they see that everything is about Jesus and not you, this is where people will see this light and they'll taste the flavors, the goodness of God. They will see your good works and they will praise and give glory to God the Father because they realize that he is the one who's motivating us. This is totally different from the Pharisees that he constantly spoke against. Because the Pharisees, they were motivated by them for themselves. Everything they did, it was for themselves. When they prayed, they wanted to look spiritual. It was about them. When they fasted, it was about them. And so Jesus constantly talked about these religious people who were uh, observers of the law, but in their hearts they were so far away from God. They were like these tombs that were whitewashed on the outside, but things dying inside. They were like that cup that looked so clean on the outside, but inside there was mold and stuff growing in. And what he's saying is this. He goes, all the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were motivated by self-centeredness. But he says that when you do it as a light and salt of this earth, that when people see you, they will see not you, but they will see God. That's why I love 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 through 11. Just read the yellow with me. It says this, each, each of you... Or each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in his various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Everything that we do, everything that we say, every time we serve, I pray that we'll do it and people will see Jesus Christ. One thing that I want to close out with as you look at verse 16 again is we need to note that people will give glory to your Father. Now, this is important because it is emphasizing the personal relationship that we have with God. He's not someone else's Father, He's my Father. So when Jesus says they will give praise and glory to your Father, what he's reminding us is once again the importance of that relationship, that intimate relationship. You cannot serve. You cannot speak. You cannot witness. We cannot do good unless we're connected to the Father. I pray that we'll learn how to abide on a regular basis and whatever we receive from God, may that be the thing that we actually share with other people. Remember your influence over the city, that he has called each one of us to do good and to bring glory to God our Father. So the one thing, once again, our city can shine bright when we reflect God's light. For next, I just have two things. Normally I give about three so you could choose one or two. But I want to give one to actually have you do this coming week. And I want to do another one that have you do it right now before we close. The first one is this. 
point people to Christ. I pray that this coming week, at your workplace, Monday morning, as you do your work with excellence and to honor him, to glorify him, point people to Christ. Those of you who are students, I pray that in everything that you do, you'll point everything back to Christ. May he be the one motivating you. May he be the one that receives all the credit and all the glory. Point people to Christ, not to yourself. Just when praises are coming to you, receive it, but then bounce it back, back to God. The second thing I want us to do as we think about how our city can really shine brightly as we, the people who are light of the world, as we reflect God's light, is I think right now, as some of you know, the reason why we wanted to start this series today, because we were going to do another series, but we wanted to do the series today, is because tonight or this afternoon, as you know, there's going to be a lot of things happening in the city. And then in October 1st, which is, I believe, on the Tuesday, there's going to be a lot of things happening on that day. Those of you who are like, what's, what's going on? Then I, I don't know where you've been. You just died and you resurrected today. So all I can say to you is read the news. This Tuesday is the 70th, I can't, I can't keep on messing, the 70th anniversary of the Chinese, Chinese Communist Party. And so it's a big celebration, at least for the Chinese government and those who are pro-China. But there are a lot of people in the city who are not going to be standing up for it. And so this is going to bring a lot more tension. And you guys all know where we stand as a church. That we're not going to try to choose sides, but when there's injustice and things that goes against Scripture, we will speak up. Especially when people's lives are in, in danger or there are those who are voiceless. Uh, we will speak up for those people. We'll be advocates, as we see in Scripture, as Jesus is our ultimate advocate. And so I want us to pray for our city. Because if we're going to be a city on a hill, then we have to not only do things, but I think it has to start on our knees and we pray. When we begin to pray, then we, we ask God, we tap into God, who is all source of all power, all grace, all love, all peace. And we're asking him to work. And so some of you don't know this, but uh, in, in our church, we had some people who, in the midst of everything that started back in June, uh, they decided to just make a web page. And it's just writing out your prayers uh, on this website. So as you point to Jesus, people to Jesus this coming week, today, right now, I want us to pray for the city. So if you quickly look, there's a QR code so you can scan it. Or you can just go to PrayForHK.com. I want everyone, if you don't have a phone, then I don't, you, you died and you rose, resurrected today, but I don't know. But I think, I think all of us have a phone. Uh, please don't check your WhatsApp and say, hoo hoo, hi, hee hee hee. Don't do any of that stuff. We're still in a spirit of worship. I want us to go to the website. So either scan it or type up PrayForHongKong.com. And right there, you're able to write out a prayer. So as the band comes up, comes up, I want us to write out a prayer. This is our time of just listening to God. And then I want you to pray a prayer to God for the city. Something about the city. Knowing that there's things that will come up this coming week. We want to intercede. So will you do that as an application? Just go ahead and 
write out a prayer. As we close uh, this morning, we're going to sing that song that I think many of us know, the God of this city. But before we sing it, I want to show you this quick video that explains how the song came about. One of the things that I really enjoy is when I listen to some of these songwriters and artists and they tell us like how the song came about, whatever song it is. Because they're really telling their story through that song. And then we begin to sing it and it's powerful. A lot of songs are very prophetic. We're singing over people, we're singing it to God. And so the song, the God of the city, he, of our city, he, Chris Tomlin, who made it famous, he actually explains how he actually came across the song, because it's not his song, someone else wrote it. There was a, a worship band who actually wrote that song. And they wrote it, and it came out of some, one of the darkest places. And you'll hear the story. Whenever it's dark, if you shine your light, everyone benefits. So I want you to listen to the story. And afterwards, I'm going to have a stand, and we're just going to sing it together as a church. And we're going to sing it over our city. Will you watch this? Come on, let's stand together, shall we? Uh, you know, a little bit of how the song got written. It was in a brothel. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm challenging some of. Some of you, your light will have to shine when you least expect it. Are you going to shine it? Sometimes you, you only get that one opportunity. I, I pray you will not miss that moment. It might be that one person that's asking you these tough questions. Because later that night, that person might commit suicide. Sometimes you get those one opportunities, and I pray that you will be ready. You will be focused and say, God, I'm the light of the world. I'm the salt of the earth. How do I bring your God flavors, the goodness of God, how do I bring it forth in this conversation, in this situation? Some of you, you're going to have multiple opportunities because you see them every single day, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. I pray that you'll give the right doses along the way. You don't have to go crazy on the other extreme. Because then you, you're not, no one wants to hang out with you. And then you're like, I'm a martyr for Jesus because no one likes me. No, because no one likes you. That's what it is. You're not a martyr. You're just unwise. You're judgmental. No one wants to be around judgmental people. I pray you'll be humble. Realize you've been saved by grace. You don't deserve anything. We don't deserve anything. But it was because of Jesus. And the way we talk, the way we live, the way we do things, people say something's different about you. And that's when you can actually share your life story, what Jesus did. As you wrote out the prayer for the city, I pray that in God's timing, in His way, in His will, that some of those prayers will become a reality. Whether it's over the city and the things to come, whether it's in your workplace, your school, dorm room, apartment, wherever, your family, let's be the salt of the earth and light of the world. I'm going to ask us just for a moment, if you could just bow your heads.
Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.